This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to 1001 Stories for the Road. Today, Chapter 9, Twala the King, from King Solomon's Mines, H. Ryder Haggard. It will not be necessary for me to detail at length the incidents of our journey to Loo. It took two good days traveling along Solomon's Great Road, which pursued its even course right into the heart of Kukuwana land. Suffice it to say that as we went, the country seemed to grow richer and richer, and the kraals, with their wide surrounding belts of cultivation, more and more numerous. They were all built upon the same principles as the first one we had reached, and were guarded by ample garrisons of troops. Indeed, in Kukuwana land, as among the Germans, the Zulus, and the Maasai, every able-bodied man is a soldier, so that the whole force of the nation is available for its wars, offensive or defensive. As we traveled along, we were overtaken by thousands of warriors hurrying up to Lou to be present at the great annual review and festival, and a grander series of troops I never saw. At sunset on the second day, we stopped to rest a while upon the summit of some heights over which the road ran, and there, on a beautiful and fertile plain before us, was Lou itself. For a native town, it was an enormous place, quite five miles round, I should say, with outlying kraals jutting out from it, which served on grand occasions as cantonments for the regiments, and a curious horseshoe-shaped hill, with which we were destined to become better acquainted, about two miles to the north. It was beautifully situated, and through the center of the kraal, dividing it into two portions, ran a river, which appeared to be bridged at several places, the same perhaps that we had seen from the slopes of Sheba's breast. Sixty or seventy miles away, three great snow-capped mountains, placed like the points of a triangle, started up out of the level plain. The conformation of these mountains was unlike that of Sheba's breast, being sheer and precipitous, instead of smooth and rounded. Infidus saw us looking at them and volunteered a remark. "'The road ends there,' he said, pointing to the mountains known among the Kukuwanas as the Three Witches. "'Why does it end?' I asked. "'Who knows?' he answered, with a shrug. "'The mountains are full of caves, and there is a great pit between them. It is there that the wise men of old time used to go to get whatever it was they came to this country for, and it is there now that our kings are buried in the place of death.' "'What was it they came for?' I asked eagerly. "'Nay, I know not. "'My lords who come from the stars should know,' he answered, with a quick look at us. "'Evidently he knew more than he chose to say.' "'Yes,' I went on. "'You are right. 
"'In the stars we know many things. "'I have heard, for instance, "'that the wise men of old came to those mountains "'to get bright stones, pretty playthings, and yellow iron. "'My lord is wise,' he answered coldly. "'I am but a child, and I cannot talk with my lord on such things. "'My lord must speak with Gagool the Old at the king's place, "'who is wise even as my lord.' "'and he turned away. "'As soon as he was gone, "'I turned to the others and pointed out the mountains. "'There are Solomon's diamond mines,' I said. "'Umbopa was standing with them, "'apparently plunged in one of the fits of abstraction "'which were common to him, and caught my words. "'Yes, Makumazan,' he put in, in Zulu. "'The diamonds are surely there, "'and you shall have them since you white men are so fond of toys and money.' "'How dost thou know that, Umbopa?' I asked sharply, for I did not like his mysterious ways. He laughed. "'I dreamed it in the night, white men,' and then he too turned upon his heel and went. "'Now what,' said Sir Henry, "'is our friend at? He knows more than he chooses to say, that is clear. By the way, Quartermain, has he heard anything of—of my brother?' "'No, nothing.' He's asked everyone he's got friendly with, but they all declare no white man has ever been seen in the country before. Do you suppose he ever got here at all? Suggested Good. We've only reached the place by a miracle. Is it likely he could have reached it at all without the maps? I don't know, said Sir Henry, gloomily, but somehow I think that I shall find him. Slowly the sun sank, and then suddenly darkness rushed down on the land like a tangible thing. There was no breathing space between the day and the night, no soft transformation scene, for in these latitudes twilight does not exist. The change from day to night is as quick and absolute as the change from life to death. The sun sank, and the world was wreathed in shadows. But not for long, for in the east there is a glow, then a bent edge of silver light, and at last the full and glorious moon and shoots its gleaming arrows far and wide, filling the earth with a faint refulgence as the glow of a good man's deeds shines for a while upon his little world after his sun has set, lighting the faint-hearted travelers who follow on towards a fuller dawn. We stood and watched the lovely sight while the stars grew pale before this chastened majesty and felt our hearts lifted up in the presence of a beauty we could not realize, much less describe. Mine has been a rough life, my reader, but there are a few things I am thankful to have lived for, and one of them is to have seen that moon rise over Kukuana land. Presently our meditations were broken in upon by our polite friend Infidus. If my lords are rested, we will journey on to Lou, where a hut is made ready for my lords tonight. The moon is now bright, so that we shall not fall on the way. We assented, and in an hour's time were at the outskirts of the town, of which the extent, mapped out as it was by thousands of campfires, appeared absolutely endless. Indeed, Good, who was always fond of a bad joke, christened it Unlimited Lou. Presently we came to a moat with a drawbridge, where we were met by the rattling of arms and the horse challenge of a sentry. Infidus gave some password that I could not catch, which was met with a salute, and we passed on through the central street of the great grass city. 
after nearly half an hour's tramp, past endless lines of huts, Infidus at last halted at the gate of a little group of huts which surrounded a small courtyard of powdered limestone, and informed us that these were to be our poor quarters. We entered and found that a hut had been assigned to each of us. These huts were superior to any which we had yet seen, and in each was a most comfortable bed made of tanned skins spread upon mattresses of aromatic grass. Food, too, was ready for us, and as soon as we had washed ourselves with water, which stood ready in earthenware jars, some young women of handsome appearance brought us a roasted meat and mealy cobs daintily served on wooden platters, and presented it to us with deep obeisances. We ate and drank, and then the beds having by our request been all moved into one hut, a precaution at which the amiable young ladies smiled, we flung ourselves down to sleep, thoroughly wearied out with our long journey. When we woke, it was to find that the sun was high in the heavens, and that the female attendants, who did not seem to be troubled by any false shame, were already standing inside the hut, having been ordered to attend and help us to make ready. "'Make ready, indeed,' growled Good. "'When one has only a flannel shirt and a pair of boots, "'that does not take long. "'I wish you would ask them for my trousers.' "'I asked accordingly, "'but was informed that these sacred relics "'had already been taken to the king, "'who would see us in the forenoon. "'Having somewhat to their astonishment and disappointment "'requested the young ladies to step outside, "'we proceeded to make the best toilet "'that the circumstances admitted of. Good even went the length of again shaving the right side of his face, the left, on which now appeared a very fair crop of whiskers, we convinced him that he must on no account touch. As for ourselves, we were contented with a good wash and combing our hair. Sir Henry's yellow locks were now almost down to his shoulders, and he looked more like an ancient Dane than ever. By the time that we had eaten our breakfast and smoked a pipe, a message was brought to us by no less a personage than Infidus himself, that Twala the king was ready to see us, if we would be pleased to come. We remarked in reply that we should prefer to wait till the sun was a little higher. We were yet weary with our journey, etc., etc. It is always well, when dealing with an uncivilized people, not to be in too great a hurry. They are apt to mistake politeness for awe or servility. So although we were quite as anxious to see Twala as Twala could be to see us, we sat down and waited for an hour employing the interval in preparing such presents as our slender stock of goods permitted, namely the Winchester rifle which had been used by poor Vent Vogel, and some beads. The rifle and ammunition we determined to present to His Royal Highness, and the beads were for his wives and courtiers. We had already given a few to Infidus and Scraga, and found that they were delighted with them, never having seen anything like them before. At length we declared that we were ready, and guided by Infidus, started up to the levee, Umbopa carrying the rifle and beads. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. 
I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special limited time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001stories at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. After walking a few hundred yards, we came to an enclosure, something like that which surrounded the huts that had been allotted to us, only fifty times as big. It could not have been less than six or seven acres in extent. All round the outside fence was a row of huts, which were the habitations of the king's wives. Exactly opposite the gateway, on the farther side of the open space, was a very large hut, which stood by itself, in which his majesty resided. All the rest was open ground, that is to say, it would have been open had it not been filled by company after company of warriors, who were mustered there to the number of seven or eight thousand. These men stood still as statues as we advanced through them, and it would be impossible to give an idea of the grandeur of the spectacle which they presented, in their waving plumes, their glancing spears, and iron-backed ox-hide shields. The space in front of the large hut was empty, but before it were placed several stools. On three of these, at a sign from Infidus, we seated ourselves, Umbopa standing behind us. As for Infidus, he took up a position by the door of the hut, and so we waited for ten minutes or more in the midst of a dead silence, but conscious that we were the object of the concentrated gaze of some eight thousand pairs of eyes. It was a somewhat trying ordeal, but we carried it off as best we could. At length the door of the hut opened, and a gigantic figure with a splendid tiger-skin carrosse flung over his shoulders, stepped out, followed by the boy Scragga, and what appeared to us to be a withered-up monkey wrapped in a fur cloak, the figure seated itself upon a stool. Craggett took his stand behind it, and the withered-up monkey crept on all fours into the shade of the hut and squatted down. And still there was silence. Then the gigantic figure slipped off the carrasse and stood up before us, a truly alarming spectacle. It was that of an enormous man with the most entirely repulsive countenance we had ever beheld. He had one gleaming black eye, for the other was represented by a hollow in his face, and in whole his expression was cruel and sensual to a degree. From the large head rose a magnificent plume of white ostrich feathers. The body was clad in a shirt of shining chain armor, whilst round the waist and right knee was the usual garnish of white oxtails. In the right hand was a huge spear. Round his neck was a thick torque of gold, and bound onto the forehead was a single and enormous uncut diamond. Still there was silence, but not for long. Presently the figure, who we rightly guessed to be the king, raised the great spear in his hand. Instantly eight thousand spears were raised in answer, and from eight thousand throats rang out the royal salute of Kum. Three times this was repeated, and each time the earth shook with the noise that can only be compared to the deepest notes of thunder. Be humble, O people, 
piped out a thin voice which seemed to come from the monkey in the shade. "'It is the king!' "'It is the king!' boomed out eight thousand throats in answer. "'Be humble, O people! It is the king!' Then there was silence again, dead silence. Presently, however, it was broken. A soldier on our left had dropped his shield, which fell with a clatter on the limestone flooring. Twala turned his one cold eye in the direction of the noise. "'Come hither, thou,' he said in a voice of thunder. A fine young man stepped out of the ranks and stood before him. "'It was thy shield that fell, thou awkward dog. Wilt thou make me a reproach in the eyes of strangers from the stars? What hast thou to say?' "'and then we saw the poor fellow turn pale under his dusky skin. "'It was by chance, O calf of the black cow,' he murmured. "'Then it is a chance for which thou must pay. "'Thou hast made me foolish. "'Prepare for death.' "'I am the king's ox,' was the low answer. "'Scragga!' roared the king. "'Let me see how thou canst use thy spear.' "'Kill me this awkward dog!' Scragus stepped forward with an ill-favored grin and lifted his spear. The poor victim covered his eyes with his hand and stood still. As for us, we were petrified with terror. Once, twice, he waved the spear and then struck. Oh, God, right home. The spear stood out a foot behind the soldier's back. He flung up his hands and dropped dead. From the multitude around rose something like a murmur. It rolled round and round, and died away. The tragedy was finished. There lay the corpse, and we had not yet realized that it had been enacted. Sir Henry sprang up and swore a great oath, then, overpowered by the sense of silence, sat down again. The thrust was a good one said the king. Take him away. Four men stepped out of the ranks and lifting the body of the murdered man carried it away. Cover up the bloodstains! Cover them up! piped out the thin voice from the monkey-like figure. The king's word is spoken. The king's doom is done. Thereupon a girl came forward from behind the hut bearing a jar filled with powdered lime which she scattered over the red mark "'blotting it out from sight. "'Sir Henry, meanwhile, was boiling with rage at what had happened. "'Indeed, it was with difficulty that we could keep him still. "'Sit down, for heaven's sake,' I whispered. "'Our lives depend on it.' "'He yielded and remained quiet. "'Twala sat still until the traces of the tragedy had been removed. "'And then he addressed us. "'White people,' he said. "'who come hither, whence I know not, and why I know not. "'Greeting.' "'Greeting, Twala, king of the Kukuanas,' I answered. "'White people, whence come ye, and what seek ye?' "'We come from the stars. Ask us not how. We come to see this land.' "'Ye come from far to see a little thing? And that man with ye?' "'Pointing to Ambopa. "'Does he too come from the stars?' "'There are people of thy color in the heavens above. 
"'but ask not of the matters too high for thee,' "'twallowed the king. "'Do ye speak with a loud voice, people of the stars?' "'Twala answered, in a tone which I scarcely liked. "'Remember that the stars are far off, and ye are here. "'How if I make ye as him whom they just bore away?' "'I laughed out loud, though there was little laughter in my heart. "'O king,' I said, "'be careful. "'Walk wearily over hot stones, lest thou shouldest burn thy feet.' Hold the spear by the handle, lest thou shouldst cut thy hands. Touch but one hair of our heads, and destruction shall come upon thee. What, have not these? Pointing to Infidus and Scraga, who, young villain that he was, was employed in cleaning the blood of the soldier off his spear. Told thee what manner of men we are? Hast thou ever seen the like of us? And I pointed to good, "'feeling quite sure that he had never seen anybody before "'who looked in the least like him as he then appeared. "'It is true. I have not,' said the king. "'Had they not told thee how we strike with death from afar?' "'I went on. "'They have told me. "'But I believe them not. "'Let me see you kill. "'Kill me a man among those who stand yonder.' "'and he pointed to the opposite side of the crawl. "'And I will believe.' "'Nay,' I answered, "'we shed no blood of man except to just punishment. "'But if thou wilt see, "'bid thy servants drive in an ox to the crawl gates, "'and before he has run twenty paces, "'I will strike him dead.' "'Nay,' laughed the king, "'kill me a man, and I will believe.' "'Good, O king,' "'So be it,' I answered coolly. "'Do thou walk across the open space, "'and before thy feet reach the gate, "'thou shalt be dead. "'Or if thou wilt not, send thy son Scraga, "'whom at that moment it would have given me "'much pleasure to shoot.' "'On hearing this suggestion, "'Scraga gave a sort of howl "'and bolted into the hut. "'Twala frowned majestically. "'The suggestion did not please him. "'Let a young ox be driven in he said. Two men at once departed, running swiftly. "'Now, Sir Henry,' said I, "'do you shoot. I want to show this ruffian that I am not the only magician of the party.' Sir Henry accordingly took the express and made ready. "'I hope I shall make a good shot,' he groaned. "'You must,' I answered. "'If you miss with the first barrel,' Let him have the second. Sight for a hundred and fifty yards, and wait till the beast turns broadside on. There came a pause, till presently we caught sight of an ox running straight for the crawl gate. It came on through the gate, and then, catching sight of the vast concourse of people, stopped stupidly, turned round, and bellowed. Now's your time, I whispered. Up with the rifle. Bang! Thud! And the ox was kicking on his back, shot in the ribs. The semi-hollow bullet had done its work well, and a sigh of astonishment went up from the assembled thousands. I turned coolly round. Have I lied, O king? Nay, white men, it is a truth, was the somewhat awed answer. Listen, Twala, I went on. 
Thou hast seen. Now know we come in peace, not war. See here? And I held up the Winchester repeater. Here is a hollow staff that shall enable you to kill even as we kill. Only this charm I lay upon it. Thou shalt kill no man with it. If thou liftest it against a man, it shall kill thee. Stay, I will show thee. Bid a man step forty paces and place the shaft of a spear in the ground so that the flat blade looks toward us. In a few seconds it was done. Now see, I will break the spear. Taking a careful sight, I fired. The bullet struck the flat of the spear and broke the blade into fragments. Again the sigh of astonishment went up. Now, Twala, handing him the rifle, this magic tube we give to thee, and by and by I will show thee how to use it. But beware how thou usest the magic of the stars against a man of earth. And I handed him the rifle. He took it very gingerly and laid it down at his feet. As he did so I observed the wizened monkey-like figure creeping up from the shadow of the hut. It crept on all fours, but when it reached the place where the king sat, it rose upon its feet, and throwing the furry covering off its face, revealed a most extraordinary and weird countenance. It was, apparently, that of a woman of great age, so shrunken that in size it was no larger than that of a year-old child, and was made up of a collection of deep yellow wrinkles. Set in the wrinkles was a sunken slit that represented the mouth, beneath which the chin curved upwards to a point. There was no nose to speak of. Indeed, the whole countenance might have been taken for that of a sun-dried corpse had it not been for a pair of large black eyes, still full of fire and intelligence, which gleamed and played under the snow-white eyebrows, and the projecting parchment-colored skull like jewels in a charnel house. As for the skull itself, it was perfectly bare and yellow in hue, while its wrinkled scalp moved and contracted like the hood of a cobra. The figure to whom this fearful countenance, which caused a shiver of fear to pass through us as we gazed upon it, stood still for a moment, and then suddenly projected a skinny claw armed with nails nearly an inch long, and laid it on the shoulder of Twala the king, and began to speak in a thin, piercing voice. Listen, O king, listen, O people, listen, O mountains and plains and rivers, home of the Kukuwana race, listen, O skies and sun, O rain and storm and mist, listen, all things that live and must die, listen, all dead things that must live again, again to die. Listen, the spirit of life is in me, and I prophesy, I prophesy. The words died away in a faint wail, and terror seemed to seize upon the hearts of all who heard them, including ourselves. The old woman was very terrible. Blood! Blood! Rivers of blood! I see it. I smell it. I taste it. It is salt. It runs red upon the ground. It rains down from the skies. 
Footsteps. Footsteps. The tread of the white man coming from afar. It shakes the earth. The earth trembles before her master. Blood is good. The red blood is bright. There is no smell like the smell of new-shed blood. The lions shall lap it and roar. The vultures shall wash their wings in it and shriek in joy. I am old. I have seen much blood. Ha-ha! But I shall see more ere I die and be merry. How old am I, think ye? Your fathers knew me, and their fathers knew me, and their fathers' fathers. I have seen the white man and know his desires. I am old, but the mountains are older than I. Who made the great road? Tell me. Who wrote in pictures on the rocks? Tell me. Who reared up the three silent ones yonder? Who gaze across the pit? Tell me. And she pointed towards the three precipitous mountains we had noticed on the previous night. Ye know not, but I know. It was a white people who were before ye are, who shall be when ye are not, who shall eat ye up and destroy ye. Yea! And what they came for, the white ones, the terrible ones, the skilled in magic and all learning, the strong, the unswerving. What is that bright stone upon thy forehead, O king? Whose hands made the iron garments upon thy breast, O king? Ye know not, but I know. I the old one, I the wise one, I the Isanusa, witch doctress. Then she turned her bald vulture head towards us. What seek ye, white men from the stars? Ah, yes, from the stars? Do ye seek a lost one? Ye shall not find him here. He is not here. Never for ages upon ages has a white foot passed this land. Never but once. And he left it but to die. Ye come for bright stones. I know it. I know it. Ye shall find them when the blood is dry, but ye shall return whence ye came. Or shall ye stop with me? Ha, ha, ha! And thou, thou with the dark skin and the proud bearing. And now she was pointing her skinny finger at Umbopa. Who art thou? And what seekest thou? Not stones that shine, not yellow metal that gleams, that thou leavest to white men from the stars? Methinks I know thee. Methinks I can smell the smell of the blood in thy veins. Strip off the girdle. Here the features of this extraordinary creature became convulsed, and she fell to the ground, foaming in an epileptic fit, and was carried off into the hut. The king rose up trembling and waved his hand. Instantly the regiments began to file off, and in ten minutes, save for ourselves, the king, and a few attendants, the great space was left clear. White people, he said, 
it passes in my mind to kill ye. Gagool has spoken strange words. What say ye? I laughed. Be careful, O king. We are not easy to slay. Thou hast seen the fate of the ox? Wouldest thou be as the ox? The king frowned. It is not well to threaten the king. We threaten not. We speak what is true. Try to kill us, O king, and learn. The great man put his hand to his forehead. Go in peace, he said at length. Tonight is the great dance. Ye shall see it. Fear not that I shall set a snare for ye. Tomorrow I shall think. It is well, O king, I answered, unconcernedly. And then, accompanied by Infidus, we rose and went back to our crawl.